0: To the loudest in Church, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That is not what that is. Jesus is in here with us. It's, uh, well, I would have said it's show quality rats, but I wouldn't want to insult those guys. They're working real hard to help us get our work completed here, and we're thankful for what they're doing. Um, and it won't bother me if it won't bother y'all, <clears throat> excuse me. So we'll be in second Chronicles two and in, in the rest of first Kings five tonight. When I say the rest of first Kings five, you're going to see in first Kings, as I said last time that, uh, my, my, uh, verse numbers are different because the Hebrew Bible, uh, starts and stops that particular chapter differently from from the bible that we use. So, don't let it throw you off. You'll be able to see what the verse is when we get to it. We're into that part now where the temple preparations begin. There are the characters of the bible, the people Of God, the servants of Yahweh, in the Old Testament especially, but in the New Testament and even today, we have a a purpose in the work of the Lord. And Solomon's purpose is this to be responsible for the building of the temple. As a preface, let me remind you that we have seen how Solomon is an extraordinarily intelligent man, and he has devoted his life to, quote, understanding, close quote. Now, what that means is he he has focused from time to time on a particular Study a particular science, uh, a particular area of knowledge. And being a man who could discipline himself at that point and focus, he studied many things out. And we we know that because of what he wrote in Ecclesiastes. He talks about all of the studies that he made, all of the things that he accomplished. Now, at this point in his life, that serves him well. Because he knows and understands trees, for example. What kind of wood is the best wood? He knows building and blueprints and structures. And that serves him well in the building of the temple. So this is Solomon's call here. And the Lord God has said so. David wanted to, but couldn't. He was a man who had shed blood. He was a man of war. Solomon is the man of peace. And so since David and his armies had built Israel to the point of strength where enemies dared not test their their resolve in warfare... Now Solomon, his name means peace. Now Solomon is the man of peace so that he can devote himself not to battles but to the building of the temple specifically and the building of his nation and the households, the families of his nation in general. So we keep those things in mind and now we're going to look first here Um, in 2 Chronicles. And we'll see how Solomon has really studied this. David, you will recall, left a large treasury for Solomon to work with. He also had purchased massive amounts of building material. He had had already purchased the, the place where the temple would be built And so many preparations are made. And now when we get into what Solomon does, Solomon adds to that what's already been prepared. Solomon adds to that in a tremendous fashion, as we will see, going through this passage of Scripture. So we start in 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Solomon counted 70,000 who bore burdens and 80,000 hewers in the mountains and 3,600 were overseeing them. So you have 3,600 project directors or line managers, whatever you want to call them. And they're the ones who oversee the work of all of these people. So you have people who are bearing burdens. We're going to talk about those words in a few minutes as we get on down. But... uh, the, the context tells us that of the, of the special workers, they're really the best ones in the world in what they do. And Solomon sent to Haram. Now, Haram means the son of Ram or the, the strength of Ram. As a matter of fact, his sarcophagus was found uh, some years ago. This very one, Haram. The king of Tyre saying as you did with my father David and you sent him cedars to build for himself a house in which to dwell. Now you can see how the Lord has has used what David did then to, to help Solomon in what he wants to do at this point in time. When David built for himself a palace He ordered for the best workers to take the best material and build his palace. Solomon is saying, you know, I want that same thing because I'm building a house in the name of Yahweh, the name of the Lord, our God, Lord, my God, the Lord, our God, to devote to him, to burn before him incense and the arrangement of the continual showbread and burnt offerings for the morning and for the evening, for Sabbaths and for new moons, and for the appointed seasons of the Lord our God. Yahweh Making this permanent over Israel. Now let me go back up here. He doesn't say he's building a house for Yahweh. He says he's building a house in the name of Yahweh. An understanding that of course. <laughs> the great God Almighty. Doesn't just. Live in a house like that like like pagans would have thought about their gods and the house which I'm building is great for our God is greater than all gods and who can gather up strength to build him a house for the heavens and the heavens of the heavens cannot contain him. This is what I just said. Nothing can contain him. He's greater than his creation. Not even the universe can contain him. But we're going to build a house for his name. Now, in, in this culture, in this day, the name was the person. In other words, all of the strength and, and, and the uh, reputation, whatever, in the name was the person It's interesting that the psalmist says at a particular time that the Lord has established his word above all of his name the importance of his word but this the, the, the name is what is representative of the one who's to be worshipped Now send me a wise man to work with gold, silver, copper, iron, purple, crimson, blue yarn, and who knows how to make engravings with the wise men who are with me in Judah and in Jerusalem, whom my father David prepared. It's almost like what David did in building a palace was a project to help the minds of people develop a school of thought to see what the best material would be so that it could be used. Of course, some of it is already outlined in the outfitting of the tabernacle, but whatever was going to be used to build the house in the name of Yahweh, the temple, was going to be absolutely the best And they already knew what they wanted because of what David had done in his lifetime and how, what kinds of skills were needed and who the skilled workmen really were. And send me cedar wood, cypress wood, Brazil wood from Lebanon, for I know that your servants know how to cut the trees of Lebanon and behold, my servants are with your servants So the best workers of wood in the world would have been these special servants of Huram, maybe Hiram or Hiram in in your uh, Bible, but it's same guy. So Solomon is saying, we're gonna coordinate this. I have these guys who understand the blueprint, they understand what I want and how I want it, and you have the guys who can make it so. That's about what he's saying. And to prepare for me abundant timber for the house that I'm building is large and wonderful. I eat the, the house, it, uh, it's the temple, but the word is, is house. And to use a capital H there is is appropriate because this is the house of, of the name of Yahweh. And behold, for the woodcutters, for those who cut the timber, I shall give abundant wheat for your servants, 20,000 Coors and barley, 20,000 cores. And wine, 20,000 baths. And oil, 20,000 baths. So this was, uh, Solomon was going to be lavish and was going to make sure that the men who are involved in building this are taken care of in the best way. Now, we've already seen the numbers, the, the beginning numbers that are in that are involved. And this is a massive project. It has to start out in the quarries and out in the forests where the where the stones are, are prepared, dug up and prepared and where the wood is cut and uh, prepared. And then all of the other stuff, the silver, the gold, the copper and all that stuff that was mentioned a while ago, the, the, uh, the uh, yarn, the, the cloth, Everything, and the colors, of course, you know back in those days we we couldn 't just go to lowe's and and buy a can of paint for a particular color, or if you wanted a particular color and they didn't have, it, they could mix a couple of things it wasn 't like that man they had to they had to extract these colors out of insects and out of fish and and things like that this was not this was not a A cheap deal. This was, this was expensive. And to use these rich, bold colors and the special, uh, the special cloth, all of this was, was top of the line. Nothing would have been better in the world than what was used in the building of this temple, the house in the name of Yahweh. So now let's see what 1 Kings writes about the same thing. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon. For he had heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father. For Hiram was ever a lover of David. They were the closest of friends. We studied that back in the time of David. Well, we studied that when we studied the time of David. We weren't around in the time of David, so we couldn't have studied it then. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying... You knew my father, David, that he could not build a house for the name of Yahweh, the Lord, our God, because of the wars which surrounded him until Yahweh put them under the soles of his feet. Now, it's here's here's a little different approach that Solomon gives to us. It wasn't just that his hands were bloodstained. It is that he had to pay absolute attention and give his complete focus on the defeat of the enemies of Israel. He could not divide his mind over something else. He wanted to, but Yahweh wouldn't let him. And obviously, David was a great warrior and a great warrior king and a great leader in battles, very, very strategic. He, you know, David write, wrote the Psalm, you have taught my, my hands to do battle, my fingers to go to war and so forth. So, that was David's call in his life along with, along with expressing the emotions that a man can have through, through his songs, his songs, the deep emotions and how Yahweh deals with his servant in such emotional times that of course, but also his, his leadership and his warrior spirit It's easy to see how David simply could not divide his time between all of the wars and the battles that he fought and this task. This is an immense task that we're going to see that Solomon is involved with. Uh, You knew because of the wars uh, he couldn't do this until Yahweh put them under the soles of his feet. And now Yahweh Elohim has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. That's a wonderful statement. Here's what Solomon is saying. My father David left a very strong nation with strong military leaders and a strong military in place. I don't have to worry about skirmishes and battles and wars. We are at peace Was it George Washington who said the only way to have peace is to be prepared for war at all times? David left the kingdom in a very strong military uh, condition. Strong leadership, great warriors, men of courage, and sound borders that uh, would not be breached. And so they protected the great trade routes and the greatest trade routes of the world in Solomon's day went right through Israel. If you had to go from one part of the world to the other part of the world and you're you're taking goods and services, you had to go through and, and you had to pay a tribute for the protection that you had carrying your caravan or whatever through the land and going from one place to another. So this is what, this is what he says. He says, I have peace now and rest on every side. I have no adversary and there's no evil occurrence. I'm not having to put out a fire here and there. And I don't have anybody threatening Israel. Well, that's a great thing. So Solomon can devote all of his time and his attention to the building of what was, I'm sure, at that time in history, the grandest thing That would have ever been built might not have been the biggest, but because of the care that went into it and the material that was used, and of course the purpose for which it was built, it was it was was a grand a grand building. And behold, I purpose to build a house for the name of Yahweh Elohim. This is how he says it here in Kings. And Yahweh spoke to David, my father, saying, Your son, whom I will set upon your throne in your place, he shall build a house for my name. And now command that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, and my servants shall be with your servants, and I will give you hire for your servants according to all that you say, for you know that there is not among us any who is skilled to hew timber like the Zidonians. Now at this time... Although, as of yet, the Phoenicians had not, this was not an empire, yet still they worked together. They, obviously, have the skill, the skills to be the greatest skilled craftsmen in the world when it comes to trees. And they have the finest trees in the world for this kind of work. So Solomon is very open and friendly with Huram, Hiram, and uh, they, because of this, the great friendship between David and Hiram, Solomon is able to trust the king of, of Tyre, and he is able to trust, of course, Solomon, and Solomon with what he is ordering from Hiram and his kingdom, what he is ordering and what he is going to use in this project is going to really boost the economy of Hiram's kingdom and his workers at the same time will be providing a very great service because this will be the greatest thing that that a person has ever built uh, up to this point. And it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly. Now I tell you why. He needed Solomon. He needed Israel. Israel he needed Israel more than Israel needed him. Locked into where he was, they had a great uh, merchant marine, they had a great naval fleet that could carry goods and services, and Israel needed that. But Hiram needed the trade routes of Israel, really more than Israel, needed the merchant marine work that would be provided uh, by Hiram. So he rejoiced greatly. This is, he doesn't have to worry about his southern border. He is, we're going to see in the course of this study, that he will, he will enter into a treaty with Solomon and he won't have to worry about any enemies from that part of, uh, of the world. So this makes him very secure and uh, he is happy to contribute what he can to the building of, uh, of the temple. And he said, blessed be Yahweh this day who has given to David a wise son over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon saying, I have heard that you have sent me and I will do all your desires concerning cedar wood and concerning uh, cypress wood. That's interesting. I'll have to read this one. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea and I will make them into rafts to go by the sea to the place that you shall send me and I will separate them there and you will transport them and you shall accomplish my desire in giving food for my household. Now, I've never been to Alaska. A lot of you have. I'm told that you can go and see how up there the, I guess wood industry, they cut down these big trees and they stick them on a river and they just start floating down to where they need to go and sometimes they'll make big rafts out of these trees and when they make the big rafts they have to put men on top of those uh, logs to make sure that everything stays secure and that it of course goes into the direction where it's supposed to go into the sawmill or whatever and I guess that's where you get that uh that competition, where those guys get on a log and they start running and trying to knock the other guy off or something i don 't know well, this is something similar here he He bundles the wood together and then he is able to float it a long way uh, and you will transfer you shall accomplish my desire in giving food for my household so see um it, it is such that Hiram doesn't have to worry about that expense. Solomon is covering everything. This is his calling. This is the part of the, some of the treasury that David left, but also the, the, gold, the, the golden touch that he had as well and the prosperity of the land and the tribute that people had to make to go through all of those trade routes to get to where they were going through uh, Israel. So he is able to draw upon that prosperity and able to help Hiram and provide food for the people. Hiram gave Solomon cedar wood and cypress wood according to all of his desires. Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures for food to his household, 20 measures beaten all. Thus, Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. Then said, Oh, but this is an annual thing as long as they're building the temple and as long as they're in league with each other. And Yahweh gave Solomon wisdom. And he had promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And they both made a league together. They both went into a treaty. They entered into a treaty. So now we go back to uh, Second Chronicles and pick up where we left off, where Hiram makes it clear that he's going to assist in what's going on. Hiram, the king of Tyre, said in writing and sent to Solomon because of Yahweh's love for his people, The love of Yahweh for his... I didn't do that right. Because of the love of Yahweh for his people, he made you king over them. And Huram, the king of Tyre, said, Blessed is Yahweh Israel, the Lord God of Israel, who made the heavens and the earth. Now this is coming from a pagan king. Who gave King David a wise son endowed with intelligence and understanding, who will build a house for Yahweh and a house for his kingdom. Now I have sent a wise man endowed with understanding of my father, uh, Horam. So he acknowledges and he he pays abeyance to, uh, to Solomon. The son of a woman of the daughters of Dan and his father was a Tyrian man. He knew how to work with gold, silver, copper, iron, stones, wood, purple, blue, fine linen, and with the crimson yarn. And to engrave all types of engravings. And to devise ideas to do what is given to him with your wise man and the wise men of my Lord, your father, David. And now the wheat and the barley, the oil and the wine, which my Lord said he shall send to his servants. So I don't it. It it doesn't for us to read those. uh, The account of the material. I don't think really, really gives enough justice in in a sense for us to, to really understand how, how rich and, and uh, what such high quality, the material, there wasn't any higher quality in the world than the material that Solomon was selecting and using to build the temple. And we shall cut timber from Lebanon as much as you need, and we shall bring it to you as rafts on the Sea of Joppa, and you will bring them up to Jerusalem. Solomon counted all the strangers who were in the land of Israel. After the census in which his father David had counted them, and they were found to be 153,600. Let me tell you what makes him another kind of a smart leader. He knows who's coming into his country. He's counted them. They're there for a purpose. And when that purpose is done, they don't belong there anymore. Just saying, and he made of them seventy thousand who bear burdens, eighty thousand who hew in the mountains, and three thousand six hundred overseers to make the people work. So we already saw that in Second Chronicles, but a little bit different take on it, and how Solomon was keeping count. This guy is just extremely organized. He doesn't miss a thing. His his mind works in every direction all at once. And he keeps up with every detail of this work, including those who come in to do the work, but then will have to leave. And I think that's an important thing to take note of in Solomon's leadership. Now, an addendum here that we don't find in 2 Chronicles, we'll find this in 1 Kings. And it talks about the workers and laborers of uh, of Solomon, that are used. Solomon raised a labor force out of all of Israel, and the levy or labor force was thirty thousand men. Now these were, uh, these were like um, these these were like Israelites. They were contract workers, and they did the work on a monthly basis. So they would come in one month out of 12. I think we studied that last time. We had 12 officials for one month each year. And each of the regions, of the 12 regions, would send workers. And it was hard work. But Solomon also knew the importance of the family. In studying about this, and in studying this particular passage of Scripture, I did a little little historical review on the ways that... uh, Empires and kingdoms and kings have treated the issue of family back through the centuries, the millennia. And more times than not, as far as I could tell, more times than not, monarchs would try to take away the importance of the family unit so that the government might be made stronger. Solomon doesn't do that. And we see that here. He doesn't want to keep these men away from their families, but for a month. And then he wants them to go back for the next 11 months. Solomon is very careful to take care of his people while he attends to the greatest thing that he will do in his life. So he raises the levy the labor force of Israelites he sent them to Lebanon 10,000 a month alternately a month they were in Lebanon and two months at home uh, I said 12, two months at home and Adoniram was over the levy so they were on one and off two right and Solomon had 70,000 who bore burdens these were tribute slaves and 80,000hewers in the mountains okay Now, the tribute slaves were those, number one, who still remained. And this goes back to the time of Joshua. We studied this before. There were some people who didn't want to be. uh, There was a particular group of people that sort of tricked um, the, 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 the leadership back in the time of Joshua. And made them think one thing when actually something else was happening. And so Joshua granted them a place in the land and they found out they were lying, but he'd given them his word. So he said, okay, here's the deal. You can stay, but you're going to have to be our slave workers. We'll take care of you, but you're going to do the work that we assign you to do and that'll be your life. So some of them are these tribute slaves. Others are those who are still prisoners of war that David had captured and they were in camps themselves. And perhaps it might be that as as prisoners of war, used as tribute slaves, it could be, I'd have to study this out a little further, but it could be that they were allowed to live with their families, but they were in encampments, and they still had to be tribute slaves to Israel. So these are the ones who were those that are here called the labor force. I'm sorry, those who bore the burdens, the tribute slaves. 80,000 hewers in the mountains. So there were another 80,000 who were working uh, on on the wood? Besides, uh, and and the stone—not just the wood, but the stone as well. Besides Solomon's chief officers that were over the work, three thousand three hundred who bore rule over the people that wrought in the work. And the king commanded, and they quarried great stones, heavy stones, to lay the foundation of the of the house with hewn stone. Now the word it says great stones. It. It can mean costly. These at that point, they weren't like diamonds or whatever, but they were costly stones that would that would be very strong. And the funny thing is, even though these great stones would be the foundation and they would be under the ground, didn't matter. It still had to be the best of the best. And the work in carving those stones and hewing out those stones and doing what they had to do to make those stones perfect was as important for those as it would be for the stones that people uh, could see. Solomon's builders and Haram's builders and the Gibeonites did hew them, and they prepared the timber and the stones to build the house. Okay, that gives a start. This is a preparation and uh, the building continues next time. So we'll stop right there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.